Hey, hey, how's it going? Hard Talk Radio at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm your host, Mr. Deadman, and with us tonight is Damian Lee. Damian, how does it feel to have an evil-sounding name? <laughs> well, growing up, it wasn't an evil-sounding name. Um, I'm actually named after a, a Catholic priest of the uh, that the family knows, so it's not actually that uh, much of a cool name, oh. <laughs> uh, to be honest. But yeah, it kind of works for the the horror genre. So it does, it does. It, if it doesn't work, then there's something wrong with that. Uh, Hmm. If it doesn't work, then you can always use the pen name Stephen Stephen King, Stephen F. King, Stephen M. King. We were just talking before yeah. we went live that uh, there's an imposter, Stephen R. King. I don't even know if that's the guy's real name, but it's it's hilarious. If it sells books, it sells books, doesn't it? Yep. And it's spelled Stephen King the same way you'd spell it, except there's an R. And I don't even know if it's the dude's name. <laughs> and even if it's not, who cares? Let, let Stephen King... Deal with that issue. <laughs> and he has enough money. Anyway, Damian Lee, I start off with one question with all my guests, and that is, uh, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Damian Lee. Um, yeah. I'm a, a writer of sorts. I like to dabble in there every now and again. Um, I've written a few short stories in the past. They've been published in very different anthologies. But uh, recently, I've gone down the the actual novel route, and I've produ- uh, published my my first novel recently, um, the virus, which has been well well received so far. Oh, oh, that's good. It's your yeah. first novel, and people are people are enjoying it. Hey, yeah, yeah, feedback's been good. Um, loads of messages of support. People asking me to make a when's the sequel coming out? When's this? Is it going to be a series? Um, mm-hmm. Basically, assuming things before I even consider them myself, <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm uh, thinking the yeah, looks, by the way. Uh, see, I see we got yeah. like a Unabomber convention over here. <laughs> yeah. I did I did have the hood to uh, to kind of match yeah. it, but it's getting too hot in here. It's too hot now, mm. <laughs> so I couldn't keep that up. Wait, wait. Are you are you also a meth dealer? Are you? Only on the side. <laughs> are you, you're not going to be taken on my territory, are you? Because that's not good. You stick to Texas. I'll stick to the UK. All right, that's good. I got, I got that space meth. Some good shit from us. This trailer parks near the space center. That's where it's about. Okay. Anyway, so how did you get? Well, first, why hard? You could write all other genres. Probably make more money doing it. But you write hard. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. I think horror comes more naturally. Um, to me than other things. I've been a horror fan for years. I mean, I started living in, in Whippy in the UK. Um, we've got the connection to Dracula um, and all that stuff going on. There's local folklore that my dad used to tell me different ghost stories growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have always been, I grew up around horror really. Um, naturally, the first novel I, I read was was Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, which for, for a child was a hard read, <laughs> I've got, got to yeah. admit. But uh yeah, I mean, from there, it just all evolved from there, and it, it was just the, the genre that stuck with me. Um, so it just felt natural to, to write in that genre, really. Hey, that's cool. So it's a natural fit for you. You you sort of gravitated towards it. And Grand Stoker's Dracula, I mean, that's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, from there, uh, I, I just went for every, every book I could get my hands on. Um, that was horror, really, so I started with... 
naturally with King, um, the likes of Dean Coombs, Richard Lehman, Clive Barker, um, Sean Hudson, uh, British author. Um, I mean, read all these different works, and I think that they all have played a, a part in influencing the way that I write uh, to a certain extent. Of you know, different bits and pieces. They all work differently. They all have their own style, and I think I've just adopted my own style by picking up on what I feel has worked for each of them. Um, but yeah, like I say, that's all I've really, really read is uh, horror. So it just felt natural to, to gravitate towards that genre, really. Okay. Cool, cool. And for you, is there a certain like, comforting element when it comes to horror? Are you scared of it? Do you embrace it? Take it on? It's like uh, part of you. Yeah, I mean, I think with horror, you get the chance to, to have the variety. You're not stuck to a a certain trope like with romance novels, you know, someone's going to meet someone, they're going to fall in love, live happily ever after, all that carry on. With horror, you've literally got anything. You could be delving into the mind of a psychopath, you could be going into the intricate psyche of them and and so on, or you could just be trying mm. to escape a killer condom <laughs> at the end of the day. It could be anything, couldn't it? So there's a big variety in horror that um, I, think, I think works well. Right, because, I mean, to... Well, I mean, I can't think of any romance novel that's a psychological, a psychological romance novel. And then again, I haven't really read any romance novels, but yeah. a romance movie that's psychological can't can't think of that unless we're talking about a what is that one? Dang it, Girl Interrupted. That maybe maybe that one. I don't know. Or Gone Girl. What what that that one too? <laughs> it's, that's not a romance. Can't help you with that one. <laughs> That's just. I've got to admit, I, have, I haven't read many of them myself, um, so it's just based on the, I think the tired tropes that, that were, you know, stereotypes of each one that I'm tending to rely on here. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you, you see it in romance in that kind of paranormal genre. Anyway, you see them starting to delve into horror. Um, mm-hmm. The likes and, of Twilight, for instance. Yeah, trying this- to. That's exactly what's going to happen when they start going to like psychological stuff, or let's say Twilight when they go into like supernatural stuff. Uh, it's going to become like a little bit of horror in a way, but you sort of soften it with this weird love stuff. Like Twilight's pretty much a, a girl who wants to fuck a dead guy and fuck a dog. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Now, you let a horror writer write that book, um, and that would be completely different to <laughs> mm-hmm. the one that actually came out was... But I mean, we do it as well. If you think about, we've got uh, we've got spinoffs like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, haven't we? <laughs> so yeah. we and we we do it as well. So yeah, and that's done. that's done intentionally too. I mean, that that author had uh, what's his name? He had fun with that stuff, and he sort of yeah. worked. You know, he, he, didn't he also do? Uh, what else he do with zombies? We could start with Pride and Prejudice. I thought he did uh, Civil War with zombies. I got I got to look what he did here. Um, it's six o'clock in the morning, yeah. guys. <laughs> um, okay, all right. And as far as writing goes, I mean, why why write? You could do other things. I mean, with, with your time, uh, you could play music. You could uh, you know be in a band. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I do I do flick between all of that. Um, so I'm a musician as well. But with lockdown, um, I kind of put a stop to all of that, basically. Um, but I think with writing, um, I've I've been writing things since I was young. Um, like I said, I used to try and mimic the likes of the people like Bram Stoker and King and that. I'd read a book and I think, you know, it's really good. And then as a as a kid, and a teenager, I'd try and replicate that kind of thing um, and write my own novels. 
Um, and it was only in, I think I had like a, a moment of realization. I was sat in, sat in college in one of my classes, just falling asleep naturally. Um, and as I was dozing off in one of the lectures, um, I started remembering all these old stories that I've written. And I remember okay. thinking to myself, Do you know what, they're, they're quite good. I, I could put a decent spin on that. Um, so the, it was like a light bulb moment. I thought, you know what, I actually want to, to go be serious with this and actually try and you know, get these books out there. So that's what the first one I've done was, like I say, the virus. I've got plenty more in my head. Um, it's just trying to, to get them down on, on the page or onto the computer. Okay. Yeah. So you had that itch. I mean, with writing, it's, I mean, you're able to, you're able to express your thoughts and get your vision of what you think out there. Uh, I mean, in a way for me, in some ways, definitely for me, writing was, um, what to kind of like decompress and kind of channel all of my the, the shit I feel about what's going on around me. It's sort of like just channel it through with the characters and different scenes and different uh, little allegories and shit. But yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, um, for me, it was always a case of it. I, I mean, I use nightmares a hell of a lot. You'd wake up in the middle of the night and you think bloody hell. I mean, good nightmare. Ah, yes. most, most people would think, oh, God, horrible nightmare. I need to try and recover. For me, do you know what? Good story idea. Let's write that down. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have a notepad beside my bed. Um, well, it's a phone now, isn't it, with uh, the notepad app. But back in the day, it was a case of notepad side of my bed. Write down this idea. Go back to sleep. Um, so a lot of my the things that I'm going to write are the, thing, the outlines of the books that I've written already. Um, they are based on just nightmares. Um mm-hmm. For instance, a virus was a it, that came about from a dream I had where I was working at the hospital at the time, um, working in the local hospital, and for some reason I had a dream where I was on the ward, and okay. then looked around, all these all these zombies came pouring in, and I just thought, shit, what do I do? Um, so <laughs> my idea at the time, God knows why, was to get on a desk, push the ceiling tiles, the foam ceiling tiles aside, jump up, grab a pipe, pull myself up into the pipes, and I think. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, logic. I like that. Everyone else is getting eaten below me, and I'm sat in the pipes just chilling. Um, <laughs> and that that scene actually did work its way into into the virus at some point. Whether it's a logical scene or not <laughs> is another matter. But um, yeah, that 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 kind of scene works its way into the virus, um, and it all stemmed from there basically. Um, the idea behind it was I just thought myself at the time I hadn't read any books that were centered around the British. Um, interpretation of the zombie virus. It was all American-based, you know, what Americans would do. Mm. Um, and you guys over there, you've got your, your heavy artillery pretty much everywhere. You can buy it in your corner shops, can't you? Your, yeah. your weapons and so on. I, mean, yeah. I do live in Texas, so, I mean, <laughs> if a zombie outbreak were to happen here, we're pretty we're pretty much good. Like, the zombies yeah, aren't going to make it too far. <laughs> it's the safe place to be, I guess. Um, but, I mean, over here, we with the tight gun control, I mean, we do have guns, don't get me wrong. Um, but the tight controls, I thought it would be a different, a different perspective to see how we would cope. I mean, at the end of the day, we've got spades and hammers and your bog standard tools to fight them off. Maybe a bat. Um, we haven't got any kind of ready access to automatic weapons or anything like that. So yeah, I just thought I'd I'd delve into that. It was only after I published it and I started reading works by other people, I realised you know what people have done that a lot. Um, there's quite quite a few books out there that have the uh, the British perspective, but there you go. I've written it now, so there you go. It's out there. But I like how your your nightmare became part of this book. It it fueled this book. Like that scene. Okay. Yeah, that's, that tends to be how a lot of them are. I've got outlines for 
literally about 20 books outlined uh, different plot ideas and they were all from waking up in the middle of the night thinking do you know what that was quite a good book quite a good book idea so yeah mm. okay and since we're talking about the book right now the virus uh tell us a little bit about this book like like what's what's going on is it is it your well it just we'll start from there uh, tell us what's going on with the book yeah, so the virus follows two main stories. Um, you've got one from the perspective of a prisoner. He's a murderer. Um, you know, he's away for life. He gets his second chance when the zombie virus hits, the prison's overrun, and him and a few other criminals use that opportunity to basically escape the prison while it's okay. you know, on fire and all, all hell on. So, yeah, I mean, the idea behind that one is to t- go away from the stereotypical you know, hero that comes out to save the day. He's a guy who's away from murder and he's a narcissist. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. And he'll happily say, in, he says it in the book that, you know, he, he murdered someone and he was happy that he did it and he would do it again. Basically, he doesn't show any remorse. Um, and I wanted to try and create that kind of, that dilemma for the reader in a way. Do you really want to get behind this guy? But he's the only one that's there. And it was more of a realistic scenario, I think, in that, you know, at the end of the day, if the zombie virus did hit, you can't say all the good ones will survive and all the bad ones will die. It's a case of, you know, he's alive, live with it. Um, and that's kind of counteracted with the other side of the story. Um, I've got uh, a nurse who's based in the hospital at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, when the virus hits, you initially think it's some kind of like food poisoning um, or flu outbreak or something. Um, and then it all just, the shit hits the fan and she's caught in the middle of it and all these patients who she's trying to help suddenly start eating people. Um, and then she's faced with the internal dilemma of obviously her role is to look after people, to try and save people. Then she's literally stuck trying to save herself um, to help with the patients basically because they're all trying to kill her. Right, um, right. trying to eat her. And yeah, yeah. Does, how does she um, figure that they're zombies and not just people with uh, high on bath salts and some shit? <laughs> well, it... It uh, it only becomes apparent down the line. Um, I mean, initially, she just thinks it's some kind of demented cannibal, basically. Um, and uh, the, the term zombie, I, I was a bit reluctant to use the term zombie um, initially. And I spent the entire book calling them cannibals, lunatics, demented people. Um, but then I just thought, halfway through, I thought, nah, what am I doing? At the end of the day, it, it's a zombie book. So yeah. people are, people are going to know they're zombies. They're getting up... From the ground, the guts are hanging out, you know, they're walking along on broken legs and things, or sh- shuffling along. Mm-hmm. Um, they're decomposing, they're eating people, they're zombies. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, kind of, I kind of went back over to, to that after a while. Um, but, yeah, the initial, like I say, the initial perspective of both characters is that these are just, you know, crazy people. The, the whole zombie aspect only comes into play when they actually see the dead getting back up and think, yeah, do you know what? It's clearly a zombie. Yeah, now, you know, I was about to ask you, your zombies in your book, are they reanimated from the dead? Are they just people that are sick that are uh, becoming cannibals? Yeah, so, I mean, I put a lot of thought into it. Um, I, end of the day, you can't, you can't escape the stereotype of zombies. If you go fast zombies, slow zombies, you go blue zombies, or you're going to conform to some stereotype somewhere along the line, because that has been done, obviously, in, in film and books to, you know, to a certain extent. So I just stripped it all back and I thought, you know what, what would scare the hell out of me? Forget what's been done in the past, what would actually be scary? And I thought myself, 
your original Romero, Dawn of the Dead Zombies shuffling along. Yeah, fair enough, I can get that. But what's more scary is the remake when they're actually fast or 28 days later, the ones that can run after you. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be able to, you know, jump in and out of them. You're literally running for your life. Someone's, and if they're faster than you, you're, you're gone, basically. Dawn um, of the Dead remake might be one of the best Zack Snyder films. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, that, at the I mean, minute, everyone's going on about... Everyone's going on about the four-hour um, what's that he's done at the minute, and I still have yet to see that. Like, um, what the Zack Snyder uh, cut? Yeah, oh, yeah I've still have it. yet. It's it's long. It's long. Um, I mean, if you really like comic book movies, then I, I guess you'll really love it. Uh, but when I watch it, by the time I got to it, I've been kind of burned down on them because they're very predictable. It's like, okay, man, I know, I know the formula. I know what's going to happen here. But yeah. uh, uh, yeah. which kind of. Remar- kind of brings up with zombies because a lot of people, of course, when they hear about a zombie book, hear that we're talking about zombies, they'll be like, oh, oh my God, again, more zombies. And how do you feel about <laughs> yeah. that? Like, like, what's your reaction to that when people say zombies are overdone? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I can kind of agree in a way. Um, to be fair, when I started writing the book, I didn't realize how overdone it had been um, because I don't actually, you know, in all honesty, I haven't read a great amount of zombie novels. Um, there's been one or two. That I've read, but um, it was only after I published and I started, you know, engaging with other writers, and I thought, holy shit, there's loads of zombies everywhere. There's books everywhere about it, um, and the series, and there's a, uh, you know, ten book series of it all, at all. And for me, that was a big eye opener. Um, now, I hadn't read many books purposefully because I didn't want to be, you know, inadvertently um, steering towards the tropes that I read in them books. I wanted to be trying, trying to get a creative. Uh, a mindset of my own. I didn't want to, right. you know, be, be influenced by, you know, external factors such as that. Um, so I started reading a few more now, um, and I can see there are certain elements which overlap. But at the end of the day, zombies are fun. It, it is a fun, fun genre to write in, um, and I can see why it's being done to the extent it has, because it's it's easy enough to do. And yeah, like I say, people people do enjoy them. So mm. now, and how do you make your zombie story stand out? you know, compared to all the others? Well, initially, I, I thought, like I said, the, the whole British take on it. Um, I started writing the book back in, I think it was 2001, 2002, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, that's, that's when I first started outlining it. So um, back then, um, I mean, you had the likes of 28 Days Later, which was obviously the British take of, uh, of zombies. But other than that, that, to my knowledge at least, there wasn't a great deal of the, the British perspective. And I wanted to try and bring that in. And obviously, waiting... I can't, I mean, I'm not going to maths, but 2002 to now, um, <laughs> there's been a hell of a lot of change over that time. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's been a hell of a lot more zombies coming out. But um, So my idea was to make it more a British spin on it. But I suppose at the same time, you've got the British aspect, the lack of guns, how they're going to survive. And then I'm relying solely on my character development. Um, you know, the idea of you, you, you're kind of behind a prisoner. Um, he's not the nicest guy in the world, but... Do you have that internal conflict? Do you support him? Do you hope he dies? Um, and yeah, that's something that's uncovered throughout the book. So I'm, I'm hoping from the character perspective, uh, the unique settings that I bring in. Um, and like I said, it's the unique twist I have on the zombies. I don't I don't try to conform to, you know, the stereotypes that have been adopted before. But mm. like I say, you, you, can't, you can't avoid all stereotypes. But I've tried my best <laughs> to put a decent spin on it anyway. Right. But when, you, when you say British version or the... the... Uh, I guess yeah, the British version of a zombie. I think uh, Shaun of the Dead, that movie. Yeah, that's yeah. Shaun that's of the seen, Dead was a, that's fun. That was a that was 
yeah, that was a. I mean, like that was a, that was a good one. I've got to admit, it shows a bit of humour um, from the outset. And I do think there are elements of humour in the in the book that uh, that I've written as well, which shows you the the British the British humour towards anything anything that we we face. There's always an element of humour there um, that we used to get through things. But um, yeah, <laughs> Shaun I mean, of the Dead was a you, was a turning guys... point stuff. You guys need to have a sense of humor with all the shit that that's happening. I mean, not, of course, it's coming from an American. We got our own shit too. Our government sucks too, in many, many ways. Oh my god! But like, you know, when you're dealing with a government that's like being very authoritarian and kind of intruding in your lives and kind of giving you some bullshit, I'm sure you got to have a sense of humor to adapt and survive in that in that environment. It's it's the old age old adage of um, laugh or cry, isn't it? Right. At the end of the day, you got to have a you got to have a sense of humour. You got to have a laugh of wise, you know. We uh, you will just you'll just go downhill. Yeah. Although I mean, if you look at the the prime minister we've elected, I mean straight away you got to have a British sense of humour to elect somebody like that in the first place, not to get all political and things. Yeah. But I mean the guy the guy's just funny. We're stuck with him. You just have a laugh, don't you? He's, he looks funny. I don't even know who he is really. He just he just looks weird. I mean the look. The, the look itself, he's just it's just a funny look. But if you look at the things he's done in the past, he's just a comic, comical character. I mean, okay, it's uh, it's one of the things you're not going to be able to get through this um, unscathed. I think, are we? But I mean, if you do it laughing, at least you've got a smile on your face, haven't you? So can't complain. I, I don't pay attention too much to UK politics, but is he? Isn't his name Boris or something? Uh, Boris. Uh, <laughs> even the name, Boris even the name is silly. It's like, come on, man, <laughs> come on. Oh it, man, it you like should see some character. of the things he's done. Before he became prime minister, I mean, you should see some of the things he's done. He's rugby tackled children in blooming charity games. He's gone zip lining down the middle of a, a street waving the British flag. He's done all sorts. Wow. He is quite a funny character. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm not one to get into politics. I yeah. don't. I don't really follow. My, I don't follow up myself to be honest. Um, it's just a case of. Well, you are British, so we have to thing. ask this: How do you feel about the royal family? Are you allowed to comment uh-huh. on that? <laughs> it, it, it depends um if my readers are supporters of the royal family then yeah i love them um <laughs> if people can't stand them then yeah i can't stand now nah, to be fair i mean I, I, I i'm not really a royalist um I've, all this thing about them saying that they've had a hard life or what have you has been interviewed i don't follow any of it to be fair well that's um, that's Merkel, a, right that's that's the the american saying she has had a hard life okay yeah, yeah. that's something like that isn't it um and the yeah, I don't. I don't really follow them. Um, to be fair, apparently they bring money into the country, and I'm all open for the argument for that. But yeah, it is what it is. At the end of the day, they're living in a massive palace. Uh, yeah. They get a lot of money. They live in a massive palace, and when I hear uh, a celebrity, especially an American celebrity uh, that's an actress, and they have crazy money, and they want to tell me how their uh, how their life is miserable, I'm just like, bitch, I grew up in a trailer park. Shut up! <laughs> it's like, come on now, come on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you live. Yeah. growing up on council estates and stuff like that yeah. around here as well. Uh, I mean, you look at that. I mean, ketchup, ketchup sandwiches. Okay, there's nothing to that. It's it's two pieces of bread and ketchup. It's nasty. Yeah, not good really. Yeah, that's it. That's it. What you grew up on. Um, same here, but yeah. Uh, like I'm not, I'm not really, not really a fan. Um, to be honest with the royal family, they bring in tourism. Yeah, fair enough. But at the end of the day. Is the queen sat in her palace or isn't she? Are the tourists still going to come and look at the palace? Of course they are, whether the queen's there or not. So that's probably the answer there. <laughs> yeah. Now, all right, so going back to, to the virus here. So in, in your book, the um, the survivors have to depend on pretty much a prisoner for their survival. Okay. Yeah. 
I so think- he. Um, he, he he stumbles across a, a group, so he's trying to survive himself. Um, he stumbles across people um, along along the way. They see him for what he is, but at the end of the day, do you know what? He's a he's a tough guy. We're not. Let's hang by him. Uh, and you see the the dilemmas with the, the the characters as well. Some of them don't like the idea of being stuck with a you know a murderer. Um, someone has been put away for murder. Others are thinking, well, do you know what? He's keeping the zombies away, so let's just stick right. with him. Um, and the characters are getting that, that that conflict as well. So now he's he's pretty much thrust into a, a leadership role, a leadership role which he doesn't really want to adopt because, um, like I say, he cares he's for not. himself. Yeah, yeah, he cares for himself. That's about it. He, he he's mainly wanting to survive, um, and you kind of get the feeling that he's going to use them as as cannon fodder. Basically, he'll he look after them until you know the shit hits a fan, and then it's going to be a case of right mm. there you go, zombies well, have them. That's the sort of mentality I would expect from a prisoner, especially a prisoner yeah. that doesn't play well with other prisoners. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Was he isolated? Would he? Was he in solitary confinement, or was he just like? He like, was. Yeah, funny was enough, um, there was a so in the book there's organized there's organized fights basically, um, and that's actually coming off uh, real real life stories that happened in the UK UK prisons. Uh, where they did have literally have fight clubs in these prisons, um, mm. and it was actually drawn on on that. Now these organised fights, uh, one of them goes awry. Uh, there's all kind of things happening. They all, all all the fighters end up in solitary confinement, and it's why it's why they survive basically. Because when the rest of the prison's overrun, they're stuck in solitary, um, and then a guard comes to try and evacuate them, um, mm. and that's how they manage to get out. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're in. He's in solitary. He's in there with a bunch of other nasty people. Um, being put away for a lot of horrible things and then obviously they're released on the world and then it kind of weighs up the options that would you rather be with these demented sociopath or they're criminals or would you go with the <laughs> the zombies you know where you stand don't you yeah um so yeah it does it does bring up a lot of um like i say a lot of dilemmas for the characters about who do you support who do you go with um do you have a certain alliance with people or do you just try to look after yourself um and i explore all of that in the book it makes things interesting too, because, all right, do they know what he's in prison for? Yeah, eventually, um, they they put two and two together. So the prison that he was in is a maximum security prison, um, which is a bit of an oxymoron when you consider how easy it is for him to to escape. Um, but it's a maximum security prison, so the worst of the worst people go there. To a well known a well known fact by the characters. Um, so yeah, they they know he's either going to be a, a rapist or a murderer, um, and he quickly corrects him. He says, basically, yeah, I'm a murderer. I murdered people. Um, so that's what you're stuck with, basically. Um, so yeah, for for them, they they find out yeah. pretty much from the outset. But and it's like, what yeah. do you do in that situation? You're uh, so the people that are in there with them are they just like other prison? Uh, there other guards are. I mean, how how did the are there people in there in this book that aren't like prisoners, aren't guards, yep, so, like just innocent so, guess, civilians? Yeah, the main character. So the main character is called Frank. So Frank, okay. he he's a prisoner. Uh, he escapes. He escapes with a bunch of other guys. They all go their separate ways. Oh, okay, gotcha, um, gotcha. And Frank out. stumbles across basically. He stumbles across a farmhouse. Um, his idea is to get as far away from the the towns and cities as possible, get into the Yorkshire Moors uh, in the countryside, um, and hole up in a in a cottage basically the idea okay. being there's not many many out there um he stumbles across this this cottage this country farmhouse uh, inside there are a bunch of people who've already 
you know, secured the place. He gets makes his way in and then locked the door behind him. And then it's a case of, oh, great, we're stuck in with a murderer now. <laughs> yeah, right. Are we safe for inside or outside? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, yeah, too, because a, a guy like him, a guy who is cold-hearted and willing to murder people uh, before an outbreak came, I mean, he, he for, what it, for what it's worth, I mean, has what it takes to, I guess, rise to become an alpha, <laughs> so to speak, because it's like he's going to be the dominant one uh, yeah. unless they can overpower him. Yeah, uh, there, is, there is that element. Um, and the whole thing I wanted to explore like from the character's point of view is – uh, and from the reader's perspective as well, is which one would you feel more comfortable with? You've got the zombies out there. Yeah, they kill you, they eat you, but you know where you st- stand with them. If you see one, they're going to try and kill you. Yeah. With the likes of, of Frank being the criminal, um, is he is he looking out for you? Is he trying to kill you? Is he right, trying to right. trick you into things? You've got the whole mental element to deal with as well. Um, so, yeah, you've got that kind of dilemma there. Do you go with what you know? Do you know where you're well, not safe, but do you go with what you know, or do you stick with somebody who you don't know, but potentially our server. So. Mm. A couple of years ago, when this show was called the Dead Men's Tone Podcast, I actually had a guest on the show. Uh, he was in prison for murder. Uh, he was doing <laughs> the show with a phone. He snuck in through his ass, pretty much. <laughs> More or less. Nice. But uh, after talking to him, it really kind of put perspective, because he was a murder because of something he did right when he was like 18 um, it was between him and some other uh, dope slinger, uh, a drug dealer type dude. And it was like, okay, he killed him like with his bare hands. He went too far, you know, kicking his ass. All right. So the reason I'm talking about this is just because someone's in prison for murder, what kind of murder are we talking about? Are we talking about like a series of murders? We're we talking like he's killing kids. Are we talking about like he's taking out some, some trash? Like what, what kind of murder is this uh, Frank guy? So Frank basically, he uh, he comes home one night um, to find his wife banging a young lad um, from next door, basically. Um, <laughs> fit of rage, he goes down, gets a hammer, comes back up, um, beats her to death, beats the other guy. He thought he killed the other guy. Guy survives. Um, so Frank gets put away for the murder of his wife, basically. Um, and when he's questioned about it down the line in the book, he just openly says, yeah, I'll do it again. Um he says he, he does regret killing her initially, um, saying that he'd much rather her survive to live the outbreak so that he could watch her get eaten alive, basically ripped to pieces. <laughs> um, that, that's kind of his outlook, basically. Um, and while he's in there, um, when he finds out that the guy who was obviously shafting his wife, when he, he finds out that he survived, um, he arranges a hit um, from inside the prison. There's a guy in there who's a... Like a gang gang law type thing, he over he's, he runs half okay. of the half the country in a in the in the um in a so basically a gang, and he arranges for the hit, um, but then he becomes in this guy's debt, so that's why he, he's in the fight club basically. He has to fight to pay off his debt um, to this guy who arranged a hit on on young Casanova, who was uh yeah getting a bit romantic with his wife. Mm, so yeah. Um, so yeah, the, he, he's he's quite open about it. He's an open book. He basically tells people who ask, yeah, I murdered my wife. Yeah, I'll do it again. Uh, I'd happily do it again. And I don't have any qualms killing, you know, you guys either. So yeah, he's quite an open book. <laughs> if if I came home and caught my wife fu- fucking some other guy, would I kill her? Well, I guess for the optics, I guess <clears throat> I guess I should not answer that question. But I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, you, you make it. You make an. You made an oath when you got married. You broke yep. that oath. Hmm. Exactly that. 
I mean, he goes on to say as well, somebody asks him, well, did you not try to plead, you know, diminish responsibility, that your mind just went and that you went a bit crazy at the time? And he just turned on and says, no. He says, I walked back downstairs, I got my hammer, found the best one I could, came back up and then, you know, smashed her head in, basically. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, she cucked yeah. him. She cucked him. She had sex with some other dude in, in, their, in their marital, marital, marital bed. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, some people will say they would disavow, but you know what? Buy that guy a beer. (laughs) 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 The optics of it. Look, I I would feel I would feel safe around him uh, if during a zombie apocalypse. Like I wouldn't think he's gonna kill me because I'm not the one who fucked his wife, and I'm not (laughs) and I'm not his wife. So he probably doesn't take shit though. You know, if I try to bust his balls, better. Yeah, well, I mean, he has a bit of a mind. Uh, mindset um, change when he's in the prison. Obviously, he's indebted to this uh, this you know boss of the gang type thing, uh, the local gangs and stuff. He's indebted to him, so he tries to. Any time he tries to rise up to him, you know he's going to get shot back down. But when when they get out um, and there's the two of them out there, he basically just turns into a different person. Says, "I'm no longer indebted to you. Um, you're on your own. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. I won't I won't hesitate to kill you. Basically, um, and that's that kind of the." The mindset shift of when he's obviously institutionalized when he's out there. Oh yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, because I mean, I mean tough. yeah, yeah, you got to do what you got to do, don't you? I suppose. Um, I mean, the first what you just brought up there about how um, by the guy a beer killing his missus, he was shafting another guy. That's <laughs> probably one of the first things that um, you know you, the readers are going to have from a dilemma point of view. You're going to have some who support it. You're going to have some who think that's absolutely horrendous. Um, and yeah, like I said, there's loads of different moral dilemmas all the way through the book that present themselves in that way and think, do you really want to support this guy? Do you not? And again, it depends on the reader, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think different people are going to interpret the book in different ways. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know what? And that's that's good for them. That's like in books and movies, TV shows, whatever. When you have complicated characters that do things that are morally legally incorrect but yet there's still enough room where somebody can be like you know maybe he's not that bad you know i have a flawed character those sorts of guys those characters they're the ones that people actually connect with i mean like a tony soprano from sopranos like oh he was a monster he did all sorts of bad stuff but there was still that human side of him you saw that we know when he talked with his family how he managed with his son and with his wife yeah. and this therapist it's like oh man you see a human element to him yeah yeah um and that, like i said i think that's some of the things i try to explore um in the book i mean there's one person in particular he's just a complete psychopath he's he just kills people for the, the enjoyment of it um but frank he's more of a case of ill do what he needs to do but in order to survive so i mean you, you do see different elements of uh you know different characteristics and different people um I think each reader will have a different favorite character. You know, everyone will get behind different ones. Um, whether they go on to survive <laughs> is another thing. But uh, you've got to hedge your bets on some people, don't you? So yeah, yeah. Okay, so so we got we got the badass prisoner dude. What are the other characters we got? Do we got? Uh, well, I'm okay. I'm just gonna take a guess here. Wild stab in the dark. Uh, is there? Every horror movie, sometimes in horror books, you're going to have that one trope, that one female that's a little bit loose, a little bit uh, sexually liberated. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is one of those in there as well. Um, oh, and how, how does Frank feel about that? 
Fangs uh, over the moon with that. He's been away for so, such a long time. He's uh, oh, but he's, he's the one fucking. He's her. quite happy with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, what, what if she was so, fucking yeah. some other guy though? <laughs> oh well, yeah, that's something we can explore later on. I mean, she yeah. does. She is, um, yeah, like you say, a bit sexually liberated. But at the same time, she's also got a a bit of a dark side to her. She knows things where you think, how do you know that? She knows how to wire a car, for instance, and ends up stealing cars. She knows how to where to find guns, and yeah. she knows a bit too much, and you think, mm, is there a bit of a backstory there? Um, so, yeah, um, it's not just a case of a character there just for, you know, for just for sex and stuff like that. She does actually have a integral part to the uh, to the plot. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like I say, I couldn't resist. The poor lad's been away for five, six, seven years or whatever it is in the book. He needs a bit of a bit of downtime, doesn't he? Let's see. Um, now, for this book, like, did you do a lot of research as far as, like, prison life in uh, in the UK? Like, yeah, fight yeah. Clubs and um, stuff. Okay. Yeah, there was there was quite a bit of that. Like I say, I, I discovered the, the the fight clubs accidentally um, when I was just doing my research. Apparently, there was organised fights um, that some of the corrupt guards at the time were actually uh, wagering on, um, and there was a big big inquest into it. Um, and I thought, you know what, quite a good idea for the story. Um, it'll fit well. So I did borrow um, certain elements of that. Um, but just prison life in general. Um, it requires a lot of research into you know things like who's in there, what kind of what kind of sentences are people going to be getting in, in that kind of environment. Um, even down to the things, what are they wear, what do they eat, what kind of what kind of stuff do they have available to them. Um, so yeah, there was quite a bit, and then the layout of the prison as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to try and try and obviously work out all of that in order to describe it. Um, so yeah, there was quite a bit, and then the other side of the story, uh, the hospital aspect. I was lucky enough to work in the hospital at the time, um, yeah. so I knew the layouts of hospitals and stuff and and that kind of thing. So I could draw my own experience there um, with that okay. aspect. So yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, a lot of research involved, a lot of a lot of stuff I had to look into. So uh, I'm I'm curious about the sort of gangs and who they are, what they do, kind of like in in the UK prison. Like, uh, you got like Aryan Brotherhoods, <laughs> you got uh, Muslim Brotherhoods. <laughs> I mean, like, what, what you got in there? Yeah, I mean, there are elements of that in there, um, I think. Um, but it, it, it depends on the prison when I was looking at different ones. I mean, some of them, for your, your law crime, <clears throat> your law-level crime, your stuff where you're in there for a couple of months, you're out again. Yeah. I mean, not not so much. But when you're in there for a lengthy spell of time, uh, that's when you do start getting your divisive sects and stuff and your, your different groups of people um, and so on. So, yeah, I mean, you, we do have elements of that here as well. Um I did draw on it a little bit in the book, uh, not too much, but enough to to get a bit of diversity going in there. Um, you know, so it's not just one main mold of a character who I've just replicated. I've got quite a diverse range in there. Um, so yeah, yeah, we do we do have some of that here. Hmm. Man, see, now I'm thinking, if I went to prison for life, who would I group with for survival? Like it was like. <laughs> If it was American History X, have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, if it was American History X and I wasn't a Nazi, uh, <laughs> who would I join with to for survival? Because what, what are the groups available? I mean, it'd be like, well, I'm just going to try to like, mind my own business. <laughs> try, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Try not and to see get how raped. Long... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and see how long it lasts, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think it all depends on... Um, it all depends on the prison. I mean, some have bigger reputations than others of ones that you want to avoid. You don't want to end up in there. But, 
Yeah, it is what it is. I think it's just a look at the draw, really, wherever mm. you get put. And obviously the crime you commit as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Bronx Beats in the chat, and he asked the question I, I ask this question a lot too. Uh, what is your favorite horror movie and why? Um, it's a hard question, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I probably, I mean, one of the first horror movies I ever saw um, was when uh, The Lost Boys came out, and that oh. was when I was uh, I got shown that by my older brother. Um, so that was pretty much one of the first horror movies I saw, um, and that one stuck with me just for the nostalgia. Uh, really, I could watch that again and again. I mean, that is a, that is a cracking vampire film um, in my book. Um, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, from a zombie perspective, I mean, with the with the theme of the book, let's just think of zombies. I do think obviously the the Dawn of the Dead remake is is up there. It is pretty a pretty good remake that one. Um, and then you've got Twenty Eight Days Later, which is it zombie? Yes, no, that, that, that's debatable. But uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say that'll be up there as well for me. Um, just purely for the entertainment factor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to see a British twist for once on, on how, how the British cope. Basically, it's not just a case of getting a gun and then just blowing them all to bits. It's a case of, uh, you know, run. <laughs> right. What a great deal else you can do. <clears throat> just run. I think putting the, the a British twist, a British perspective on it would make things a little bit more interesting as far as uh, difficulty. Because, yeah, uh, you know, like a zombie outbreak took place in Texas. Everyone pretty much has a shotgun. Uh, you know, they, they, <laughs> they have their weapons. They have their weapons. Yeah. They'll, they'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not the zombies you'd have to worry about. It's just the other people. <laughs> because after then, it's like, okay, now we need to form up, form little clans. It'll be yeah, families, it'll it. be street blocks, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I found was um, I originally started with the idea of not getting guns at all. Just for you know, what, purely British twist. And like I say, we do have guns here, but. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Train to uh, Busan? With- Yes, yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, a, it's quite a good one, I think. It, I um, mean, I think also they, they had the limitations of firearms because they yeah. didn't have any firearms. It's like with South Korea, I don't know if they have, I don't think they have gun laws there. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think they're allowed to have guns there. I'm not sure what, what the laws are. Probably pretty strict. No. But they didn't yeah. have any weapons, just their bare hand. The guy was literally punching zombies in the face. I was like, oh, yeah. shit, this movie's good. Yeah. <laughs> that motherfucker's <laughs> tough. That's a tough motherfucker yeah. right there. All right. All right. It's an interesting take, isn't it? It is an yeah. interesting take on it. Um, I mean, I started writing it with the idea I'm not going to have guns in it at all. But, uh, I mean, it got to the point where there's only so many times you can hit zombies with, like, your gardening tools. <laughs> I wanted to branch out a bit. Um, and like mm. I say, we do have, we do have gun shops around here. We have, like, hunting shops when the, the hunts are on and things. Um, so I did incorporate a little bit of that in there as well just to, you know, just to make mix up a bit. I mean, you can only hit a zombie so many times with a spade. Um, and make it interesting, can you? So, yeah. Yeah. You had to change it up somehow. Different tools, different stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure. There's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of that. Okay. And that's something, it's some good picks there. Like Dawn of the Dead, that remake, great opening. Great freaking opening. Powerful. Like, yeah. immediately yeah. you're in there. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's anyone who, who I, I don't think I've heard anyone say that opening sucks. Unless unless no. they don't care for running zombies. Zombies don't run, which is like, okay, come on now. Come on. Yeah. You know, the dead doesn't come back to life either. But you know, let's not let's not, you know, debate that you know, debate about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I love the I, I love the the original Dawn of the Dead to an extent, but if you think about it, if you're in that situation, as long as you haven't got a broken leg, you, you, you're not going to get bit. Are you? You're just going to just, just shuffle around them. They're not going to they're not going to be able to get you quickly. Um, I think the added the speed of them adds another element of, of fear. Almost, you know, you, oh, yeah. you you need to be you need to get out of there. Um, so for me, that's what one of the things that works about that remake. Um, well, mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, remakes don't tend to work, do they? Um, in the horror genre, if you think about all the remakes that have come out, um, repeating constantly all these different movies and say, yeah, he's a remake of the remake and so on. I mean, don't get me wrong, you do get the other one or two that work, but the vast majority of the time you can't be the original, can you? So. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's a there's a thing we we're going to talk about that we haven't touched on yet, and that's uh, because your book is it's self published, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's self published, and and how do you feel about that? I mean, there's people who look at self published works like, oh, it's trash. What do you say to that? <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was my initial thought. Um, it's a case of oh, look, it's been self published. It's going to be rubbish, isn't it? Um, but I mean, looking into it, there's a, so many self-published authors who have a massive following and they are making uh, a fair bit of money from it to the point where they're able to quit the day job and, and actually write for a living and that's all for just being self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think the the whole traditional publishing industry, they, they don't look at horror as being a viable product in, unless you've got a, you know, a big name to, to hide behind or to, to attach to your book. If you're an upcoming author, you, you're not going to get far in in horror, as far as my perspective, at least, anyway. Right. I mean, for looking at different publishers and what they will and won't accept, there's a lot of them that say they don't accept the likes of horror, sci-fi, or, or fantasy, um, you know, for the reasons being that. Obviously, unless you're a big name, it doesn't sell, allegedly. Um, so, I mean, for me, I didn't really want to go down that route. I wanted more control over my work. I didn't want people saying, well, you can't say that, you can't say this, it's not politically correct and all that. I wanted to be able to write the book that I wanted to write and just not have any limitations of that, really. Um, so I didn't actually pursue um, traditional publishing as such. I think I might have put one query letter into one, one publisher, I think. But yeah, I might have done that initially back in 2000 and God knows whenever I started writing the book. Um, but after that, I just think, you know what, well, I'm just going to go on the publishing route, mm. uh, self-publishing route, sorry. So, yeah. I mean, it- the benefit that you have with self-publishing is that you don't have to worry about the gatekeepers saying no to you, no to your book. And when they say no, when the gatekeepers, and I'm talking about traditional publishers, publishers, when they say no, they're not always saying no because of quality. They might say no because they're full, no because uh, of, let's face it, and now I'm going to turn this into some risky, uh, this might open a can of worms, but because of, especially now, diversity. Okay, are you are you gay? Are you gay enough? I've had uh, a, I have a gay uh, author friend, uh, Leo X Robertson. He, he he mentioned that he's a gay dude and he writes stories sometimes with a gay character, or whatever. And they'll be like, these characters aren't gay enough. He's like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fucked up. But so my, my point is, they have all these criteria and check boxes that they need to check off before they even consider it, and you may not even match it. And it's like, okay, they're they're playing that game. Then you know what? I'll just publish it on my own. And when you do that, of course, you have to do pretty much all the work, the cover, the marketing, all of it, and you have to make sure it is good, at least good enough for it to actually start. You know, getting some traction and, and getting some some movement there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, for me, the amount of time potentially wasted by 
emailing all these different publishers that putting query letters in and then the requests you know your first couple of chapters you send that in they say no you move on to the next one and you've got a big list you're working your way down I mean you're talking the amount of time you could potentially waste um in submitting it as well mm-hmm. you can't you kind of wait it up don't you um and then even if one of them does accept the work you've spent all that time contributing to it and then even then a lot of them still require you to to promote it you know you can't just sit back and say well there's my book you guys promote it and i'll just sit back and see the money um a lot of the publishers will say you need to actively promote your book you need to do this you need to do that um so i mean you do a lot of that anyway with your self-publishing um aspect but yeah like i say it was the it was the one i preferred i think when i was weighing up the two options it was the one that seemed better for me really and having gone having gone this route i mean i'm looking at your book right now on amazon and it's ranked uh, 80 in uh, what, British horror fiction. So it's within the top 100 in British horror fiction. So that's, hey, that's pretty good. It's not bad. It looks like it's it's been selling. Just based on the number, I mean, I can, you know, assume that it's been selling a fair fair number of copies. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's been doing well. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I think you find that for the, the opening of, of, any, of any novel, really, don't you? You find the first couple of days you might get a few yeah, quite a few substantial sales um and then you get into the profits of maybe triple figures um and then as soon as the triple figures hit they start just starting to dwindle down a little bit yeah. um and then it, they go, then suddenly you see a shoot back up again um mm. but yeah it did it did really well when it first came out i, I know i think it has been falling down the uh the rankings recently i haven't checked it out like um but i mean that's when you start the whole marketing thing isn't it you start marketing it and doing your yeah. paid ads and so on um I need to start looking into all of that. So, so yeah, it is what it is. And for a first book, I mean, I think it's been doing all right. I, I intend to um, to potentially go on to write a, a sequel to it uh, based on feedback I've been given. Um, people asking when's the next book coming out, when is it going to be a series, how many books are you going to do? Um, and for me, I just I didn't even consider that at first. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I started to get the cogs wearing now. I'm starting to think about that now. Um, so I mean, yeah, when the next one comes out, the first one probably going to start getting more sales uh, mm-hmm. and so on, and then the next book, and then that tends to be how it works, doesn't it? Right. So. Oh, and yeah, D- been- D- David uh, McKay says in the chat, you know, it's not even eight. I need a coffee. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm drinking this uh, Monster. Uh, hopefully, it helps. Even the, in the beginning of the stream, you could see it. I had the uh, the the title from the previous one. I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't even do that." <laughs> oh man, it's rough. But so far, this has been fun. This has been really good. This is good stuff. Um, now, I'm gonna ask because you're a good person to ask. You went the self publishing route, and your book's doing pretty well. Uh, are there any certain tricks, certain things you're doing when it comes to marketing? Uh, are you like really busy on social media? Are there different sort of like, like memes or little images you make to kind of like help promote it? Um, yeah, bits and pieces. I mean, um, social media is obviously the key. You need to be able to interact with people, especially from an in, uh, from a self publishing point of view. Um, if you don't interact, you know, no one knows about your book really. So I mean, I've tried to interact with people, uh, engage, see what people are into, um, and in the leaders from my book as well, I was asking. You know what, what kind of things do people look for in a book? What kind of things do you look for in a zombie novel? Um, and you know, if they happen to say, you know what, I like fast zombies, I like um, realistic scenarios, that kind of thing. I say, well, do you know what, my book's coming out in a few weeks. Have a look. <laughs> you might like it, uh, and that kind of thing. So it, it uh, interacting with people that way, it does tend to work. Um, I've had a lot of 
I mean, I didn't realise how big the, the zombie um, community was, the people who, who love the zombie genre. Mm. Um, and I started interacting with people in, uh, within those groups and the feedback I've got and uh, the support I've got has been unbelievable. I, I couldn't anticipate getting that many uh, people on board with wanting to read my book, but I put the blurb out there, I put the cover out there, um, everyone's loving the cover. They all say, yeah, really good um, synopsis, really good idea, mm. um, would love to read the book. And I sent the first couple of chapters out um, to people on the lead up to it as well, just to get a bit of feedback, really, to make sure that, uh, you know, it, it was going to be something that people are into. Um, and the vast majority of them all said, you know what, tell me when the book comes out, because I want to buy it based on that. Yeah, so, that's good. Especially yeah, when, yeah, when, so you're, when you're sharing in groups like that, you know, you know, you have something good when they're not kicking you out for for uh, promotion and advertising. You know, some of those groups are kind of they, they're weird about that, right? You see other people promote yeah. stuff, other people advertise, but sometimes when you do, it's like, oh, we're gonna kick you out. We don't do that here. It's like, what are you talking about? Everybody yeah. does that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. I can see to a, an extent where they're coming from. I mean, you, you go on to Facebook, you go scrolling down, you see the same ad over and over again. It's yeah. been posted in every single page. I can see that. Um, I mean, I'm. I'd never be excessive. I'd never spam to a, to an extent. Say, look, buy my book every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I don't know. I just, I just look out for the the posts where people are asking, you know, what books have you got out? Share of our readers. So I jump on those and say, yep, straight away, this is my book. Um, feel free to go buy it. Um, so I, I look out for things like that. Really, I don't want to come across as someone who's you know overbearing and say, look, buy this book, buy this book. Um, it is what it is. I just try try to market it as best I can. Okay. And once again, guys, I have it on the screen so that way you can see it. It's the virus by Damian Lee. Cool, cool name. Very sinister. Works well with uh, with horror. Uh, yeah, it's like with four and a half stars, four point seven stars. Okay, yeah. And if you like, I know some people may not like zombie stories because you know zombie stories are, are maybe saturated. But if you like the ones that aren't um, pussified by family drama and emo stuff, this sounds like more your speed. It's more like okay, it's dealing with some real situations. Yeah, yeah, and it's available on uh, Kindle Unlimited as well for free. So if you've got that, crack on, jump on it while it's free. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, you put it in the the Kindle Unlimited thing. Yeah. So Kindle Unlimited. So it's, it, yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, I'm getting quite a, quite a few reads on that. To be fair, lo- loads of people have been have been going on it, um, reading through on there. Yeah. So and that stuff adds so, up. Yeah. That stuff does indeed add up. In fact, I think. I make a little bit more from that for the page reads than I do from the purchases. It depends on, on what which book and all, but yeah. So I think the takeaway yep. is that if you do this, make sure you're constantly busy uh, marketing. And just so that people understand when I say constantly busy, like how much time in a day would you say you put into like marketing your book? Uh, well, I mean, with us being in lockdown, there's not a great deal else to do, so I can pretty much spend every day just, you know, plugging out. I go on Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, um, and so on. Where, but it's not just a case of marketing; it's just a case of engaging as well. Um, yeah. Just getting to know people, getting to know potential readers. I don't, it's not just a case of, you know, going on to try and speak to someone. Wait, for, you mean a, you actually have to talk to people? You can't just. Oh yeah. You, you can't just people, yes, yeah. put a post. <laughs> oh. No, I mean at the end of the day, I don't. I don't I don't really go on there just purely to market. I do want to engage with people and get to mm. know people. Because, um, I mean, in the long run, especially over offers as well, you, you start reading their stuff and you think, you know what, pretty good. that's pretty good work. Um, mm-hmm. You engage with them. Um, 
and you get collaborations down the line. You get to you know share share work. You get to promote each other's stuff. So it's not just a case of going on trying to find potential potential readers. It's literally networking as well, networking with different people, um, and just you know trying to bounce off each other to you know to to get things moving really. So. Okay. Well, uh, like I said, guys, the virus by Damian Lee. Go check it out on Amazon. Uh, one of the last questions I have for you here is. Uh, uh, do you have anything else in the work? Um, anything that you're working on right now? Maybe another novel, short story? Yeah, so I've, um, to be fair, I've got lots of ideas bouncing around. I mean, I had a, um, I had an idea for my next novel after this one, but given the, the feedback and the, the messages of support I've received and people asking when's your next book in this series going to come out, I've decided to shelve that and just go for um, a potential potential uh, sequel to the virus. So I'm working on that at the minute. Got a few ideas bouncing around. Um, once I start actively, you know, writing it, talking about maybe summertime towards the end of summer, um, maybe towards mid middle of the year, maybe I should hopefully try and get something out again for the next one. Um, so yeah, hopefully I'll have a sequel coming up pretty soon as well. Now, have you ever read uh, "Dying Days" by Armand Ro- Rosamilia? Yes, yeah, that's one of the zombie books I've read. Yeah. Great, great yeah. author, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking that when it comes to sequels, this guy doesn't play it around. Like that book has <laughs> nine sequels. Like if people yeah. want it, he'll write another one. I'm surprised it stopped at nine. But I mean, that's if so. Yeah, if people like the virus and they want another one, give it to them. Give it to them. Especially yeah. hey, if if you like writing it, it's it's your story. Shit, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a fool not to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I left it, um, there's potential for a sequel or there's potential to leave it as it is. Um, You know, you could go either way with it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like I say, the ideas are bouncing around at the minute, so hopefully I'll uh, I'll start getting something Mm. um, put together real soon. Okay, all right. Well, Damian Lee, it was great having you on on Hard Talk Radio. I will open this up for for callers. It's kind of early for me to really function, all that stuff. But... uh, in the in the future hard talk radio episodes i'll definitely be more um i guess active as far as getting callers on and all that stuff i'll be, be doing that stuff because that's a, that's the direction of, of this show that's what i want to move it into that's the talk radio part of it that still hasn't really been implemented yet anyway damon lee it's great having you on the show guys you made it this far press the like button share and subscribe uh, especially <laughs> watching live this early in the morning And uh, thank y'all so much. Y'all take it easy.